when I was in the audition room, I was just like, you know, I just wanted to let you know as an autism mom, this means so much to me. And then I lost it. I just started crying. Whomever you choose, you will be making the right decision because I know you guys aren't taking this lightly. It doesn't have to be me and I will still back this 100%. Welcome to the 14th episode of On the Grid, a podcast dedicated to the Valley of the Sun. This podcast is a place where you can come to meet the creators and newsmakers taking this metropolis to the next level, a place where you can learn what's really happening in Phoenix. My name is Philip Haldeman, and I'll be your host. On this episode of On the Grid, our guest is Stacy Gordon. Her name might not sound terribly familiar, but the character she plays on television just might be especially if you have kids who watch Sesame Street. She is the puppeteer of the show's newest character. The character's name is Julia, and what sets her apart is that she's autistic, which actually is the whole point in a way, because after all, aren't we all different from each other in our own way? The Sesame Street folks created Julia because they wanted to raise awareness and reduce the stigma of autism, to share the experience of what it's like to be autistic, so that kids and people with the disorder will be better understood and Stacy Gordon's road to Sesame Street has been quite the experience. It's the stuff dreams are made of. Stacy, thanks for being on the show. Thank you for having me. You are the newest puppeteer for Sesame Street. Tell us about the new character and tell us a little bit about how you got involved with it. So the new character is Julia, and she's a little girl with red hair. She's very curious. She likes to sing and draw, and Julia has autism. She's four years old. She has actually been already introduced to the Sesame Street world in October of 2015. So she was an online character in a storybook called We're Amazing 123, written by a woman whose son is autistic. And then they had videos and animations that they'd done with her, but they hadn't made a puppet. So after it all went online, there was an outpouring of support from the autism community, and that's what encouraged them to say, you know what, let's put this character on the show. So Julia premiered on the show, this was like two weeks ago maybe? Yeah, something like that. Not, or between a week or a week and... It was nine days ago. Okay. Well, first of all, um, having an autistic character um, on Sesame Street is kind of a huge thing, and so it sounds like folks at Sesame Street wanted to raise an awareness for autism, it sounds like, Absolutely. Right? So Sesame Street has a bunch of different um, outreach things that they do, different outreach programs. They have a program for kids who have food insecurities. They have programs for military families, for people, Divorced families too, Divorced right? families, people who might have a, a parent incarcerated. And um, their latest initiative, or at least their latest at the time, was... Sesame Street and Autism See Amazing in All Children. And now they're actually moving on with another initiative that involves uh, helping children who are in refugee situations. Oh, wow, because that's the newest one. That's really interesting because that's really timely. Yeah. You have a child, a son who is autistic. So I do. That just seems, the happenstance there, the, ser- the serendipity there seems like out of this world. Like when you first started getting the inkling that you might, you know, do this puppet, how crazy was it 
to, to actually think that this it's it's an autistic puppet character as well you know well so i was first introduced to the character when the rest of the world was introduced to the character in october of 2015 i they didn't know who i was back then right. there were a couple of puppeteers that i knew who worked on the show right. but you know sesame street at large is a very very big company right. a very large nonprofit that has a lot of people involved and all but two of them didn't know who i was well and <laughs> so, you, yes you obviously when when they first introduced Julia, you you obviously weren't involved with Sesame. No, not at all. This was something all. that you wanted to do. You... Well, yeah. So when I saw when I saw the videos and stuff, um, I I saw it a few times. I saw all of the 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 material a few times uh, while I was working at my studio. The animated got home. Stuff, right? Yep, got yeah. home. Showed my child. They also have videos of children with autism with their families, uh, siblings, morning routines, things like that. I poured over the material because I was so... And your son watched it as well? My son watched it as well. He he was 12 at the time. Uh, yeah, a new 12 at the time. And he um, he was like, yay, that's neat, mom. And then, you know, went back to Minecraft. But <laughs> <laughs> I was really impressed by it because as a mom um, and as somebody who used to work in the autism community prior to being a mother, it, it's been a long time coming in my mind. What did you do um, previous? So I before before I was a, a habilitator, which is a paraprofessional, um, I went into people's wow. homes and I worked with kids on the spectrum. There's one particular family that I worked with for three years, uh, for 46 hours a week, which is more than full time, if you do the math. Yeah. <laughs> I worked with her from the time she was three until she was six, and I say her the first one of the first kids I worked with was a girl and that's really important because Julia is a little girl and Julia is a girl in order to, to dispel some of the myths about autism there mm. are people out there who believe that girls can't have autism and that's just wrong yeah um, I did hear that autism is more prevalent in boys but that might necessarily be true yeah right? so what they're discovering is that autism merely presents itself differently in girls and so a lot more girls are getting diagnosed because of that finding. Wow. So then you see, then you actually. Oh yeah. So then I saw, I saw all of, all of the material, and I then I scoured the media. I was one of those people who was just like, I need to look up everything about this. Sure. <laughs> when I found out there wasn't going to be a puppet, I looked at my husband and I just said, "This is a long well, shot because there's never going to be a puppet." Well, now how did you know there wasn't going to be a puppet? They said in, oh, okay. in there it was, was just PR. For... There was PR saying okay. that it was not the character was not going to be on the show. And that it was just going to be an online character. Do you know why they decided to change that and go with a puppet? Because of the outpouring from the autism community. Mm. Yeah. Wow. It was it was such a huge impact that so many people said, you know, this is, you know, are you going to do this? Are you going to do this? When's she going to be on the show? And they were like, you know what? This is the step we need to take. So that day I looked at my husband and I was like, this is never going to happen. They don't know me. And I don't live in New York. <laughs> And it's not going to be a puppet. But if there ever is, oh my gosh, I'd want to be Julia. Like that. At the time, did you even have an inkling of like how to get an audition or anything no, like no. that? No, 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 right. not at all. In fact, I thought I was too short to be a puppeteer on the show. Oh. I thought it was actually impossible. For me, it was complete pipe dream. In fact, when I was told that I was too short to be on the show, because I'm only 5'2", 
I was told I was too short to be on the show by a friend who a long time ago had been told he was too short. But I had honestly changed my dream from being a puppeteer on Sesame Street to just visiting the set. How, how, how long has it been a dream of yours to be on the show? Since I was a little kid. Okay. How long have you been a puppeteer? I've been a puppeteer since I was in high school. Okay, so this is something that you've been doing your whole life, obviously, mostly. When you see Julia, and those are your hands, like, doesn't that, does that blow your mind a little bit? Yes. Walking onto set blows my mind right. every single time I walk on set. Right. And every seeing all the characters and the actors. And yes. Yes. The first time I saw Alan, I was like, that's Alan. And he said, hi, I'm Alan. And I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> nice and Alan is... Alan is one of the human characters on this in in the show. He runs. Oh Hooper, yeah, yeah. He okay. runs Hooper's store now. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. Wow. So yeah, the, you're right there on set, and and this is not something. Obviously, you never even you didn't think this was going to happen a year a year prior to this, right? Or a year and a half, maybe. Yeah, a year and a half. So ago. how does this happen? <laughs> I mean, you do know some people on the show, but like, how does something like this? Because like, I've had experience with this. Um, with the room, well, just the idea of fame is like to become really famous, and neither of us are really famous, you right? Know? But to to become any level of height in the entertainment world, you kind of have to be lucky. The timing has to be right. I mean, you just don't become Tom Cruise because you were born to become Tom Cruise, right? You know, a lot of factors. First of all, play your into parents that. have to name you Tom Cruise, right? <laughs> yes, first and foremost. If that doesn't happen. <laughs> Then you're, you're screwed, screwed pretty much, yeah. Yeah, totally. But so you knew some people. I mean, I mean, you had friends mm-hmm. throughout the puppet world, puppetry world. Um, so try and give people an idea of what really goes into this. Like, like when when did this kind of ball start get, get rolling that you mm-hmm. knew wasn't rolling at the time? Or do you think? Okay, so before I knew it was rolling, right? So I didn't know it was rolling until February second of two thousand sixteen. Anything up until that point, I if if there was a ball rolling, I had no idea. So in 2015, the summer of 2015, um, I was asked to run the puppetry store at the National Puppeteers of America Festival. So we do and, an, a national festival every two years. And, I and went, the puppetry store is basically the, the retail it's shop. It's like a little consignment shop for puppeteers to go in and sell their stuff to other puppeteers who want the stuff that those gotcha. puppeteers and this, are selling. And this particular convention was in... It was in Connecticut. Okay. So it was at the University of Connecticut. So, okay, so you attended this festival. So I attended this festival, and which even just me attending that festival was pure happenstance. I happened to be at my mentor's memorial service and talking with another puppeteer who was on the board of directors For of the, the Puppeteers of America asked me if I'd be interested. Gotcha. Um, and so you went to this festival. I, so I went to this festival in Connecticut. And um, I was sitting on a bench talking to a friend. And a woman named Leslie Carrara Rudolph sat down. Um, she is the performer for Abby Cadabby on the show. And I saw that she was wearing an Autism Speaks pin. So the symbol, one of the symbols, whether or not it's adopted by all of the autism community is highly debated, is a puzzle piece. I am drawn to the puzzle piece specifically because I, for me, it symbolizes that every person has their place in this world. Everybody fits in. Other, other people put different meaning on it, but that's the meaning that I give it. And, and so I wear a puzzle piece necklace around my neck. Um, everybody fits in somewhere. Everybody fits yeah. in somewhere. And our uniqueness is what makes us great. 
The puzzles that Which suck. Is, yes. The puzzles that suck are the puzzles that have the same repeating pieces over and over again. <laughs> True. <Yeah. laughs> right? Right, right, right. Like the more variety in a puzzle, yes, the better. Exactly. It makes it more difficult, but also more challenging, more fulfilling once you're finished with it. Yeah. 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 And hopefully we're never finished filling right. in our puzzle, True, you know, yeah. but you know, we all we all fit somewhere. And I think this is the metaphor that the Sesame Street folks are, are kind of promoting as well. Yeah, we're seeing like. we're That's seeing the Julia amazing in everybody. Kind of. yep, yeah, we see the amazing in everybody. Right. So uh, Leslie and I begin a conversation about autism. I brought it up because I saw her pin and my son has autism. So I felt like she was a safe person to speak to about it. She asked me back then, do you ever do any outreach with puppetry? For autism, and I said, no, you know, I just haven't found my place yet. Um, I do, to, though, I do yeah. workshops yeah. for kids. Well, I've I've worked with the autism community, but I never did puppetry for oh, the I got autism you. community. Got you. Okay. Um, I've done workshops for kids with autism, but I'd never done a puppet show and never done puppetry for them. You know, she got thoughtful and was like, oh, maybe someday. And I was like, yeah, maybe. And it got me thinking about it more and more. And that was the first time you met her, right? Um, that well, was the first was time that I really you got to know her. her. Yeah. Kind of bonded with her a little bit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and we hung out the entire festival, you know, when I wasn't working in the store. Right. <laughs> and then um, we both happened to be going to Dragon Con. Uh, Which is a month another later. Uh, pop. It's a pop culture festival. It's another pop culture yeah. festival in Atlanta. Okay. The, and that has a 40 hours of programming for puppetry. So it's a big, it's a big one for puppeteers to go to. Um, and our friend Bo Brown, who runs the puppetry track there, had put us in a show together, oh, in, an, cool. in an improv show together. And that's a mutual fun. She, he's friends with Leslie as well, I guess. Yeah, right? he's he's the director of the track, so gotcha. he's in, so he knows he's, everybody. He um, yeah, he's responsible for bringing. He knows in where guests. people would fit in together. So to yep, speak, right? he sure does. He <laughs> sure does. Yeah. He is he is the greatest uh, curator nice. <laughs> that I know. Nice. So. Uh, and he he put us in a show together along with Pam Arciero, who worked on the sh- who works on Sesame Street, and Tyler Bunch, who also works on Sesame Street. Mm. Um, now Pam is Grungetta, uh, who is Oscar the Grouch's girlfriend. So you have to go back to your 1980s memories for that. Although they're doing a lot more with Grungetta now. Hmm. They just did the real the Real Housewives of Grouchland. Oh, awesome! And they just released that on. I did not know yeah, that. they just released it. On online. Oh my god! They're doing all these parodies online. So. That's hilarious. So you were in a show with so three other Sesame Street with three act- Sesame Street performers. Yeah. yeah, and I was intimidated beyond all get out, and I held my own. I did all right, nice. and thankfully I had you know years of of improv and years of puppetry and years of puppet improv under my belt, and it was really a really fun show. Mm-hmm. And um, and they, this was what probably that March was, or April or something like no, that. No, no, no. That would have been that would have been uh, Memorial Day or I'm sorry, Labor Day of 2015. So okay. this is before the launch of Julia. Gotcha. There's, oh, yeah, I had yeah, no yeah. inkling in my in my head. Do you think that she they might have known about it though? Leslie, Leslie, did. yeah, okay. Leslie did. So at the time because you sat what down I heard from her, she, yeah, yeah. So what I heard from the producer much later, in fact, just uh, maybe a month ago was I guess Leslie came back from those events and said, I found her. Wow. I found her. I found Julia. She lives in Arizona. Wow. <laughs> um, and she urged, she gave them my name then. They said, you know, we're not looking for a puppeteer. But then when they started looking for a puppeteer, late January, early, early February, she <laughs> quickly texted me and said, I need your contact information right now. I can't tell you what. You might find out later. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, thanks. And then the following Tuesday, 
I got an email from Sesame Street saying, you know, it was titled Sesame Street Autism Initiative. And then all I could read was the was the preview on Gmail. And it said, Dear Stacy, uh, I'm writing to you because you come highly recommend. Yeah. Dot, dot, dot. Must open more <laughs> to find out. Must open Must more open. to find out. But yeah. I couldn't. I could not open it. So This is like one of those like classic like John Hughes moment where like the – it's getting the uh, the acceptance letter acceptance to like letter. Harvard or yeah, something yeah, like know. that. And it's you know? like, oh, you open, it. you open it. I can't yeah. do it. No, that's exactly what it was. So my friend Lori used to come here every Tuesday. We're in my studio right now. She used to come here every Tuesday, and she'd sit on one side of my table, and I'd sit on the other, and we'd we'd work on stuff. And and I I was just like, boy, I I need you, to, I need you to open this email. I I can't. And so she came around and opened it for me and. I literally fell out of my chair. Like I was sitting on the edge because I'm a natural edge sitter anyway. <laughs> and then I was just, I was just so taken aback. Um, they asked me what my background was and I wrote them back a novel. And then they invited me to send them a video of me doing some puppetry. And then a couple weeks later, they invited me to send an audition video Okay, so an audition video, uh, they send you a script? They sent me some sides. Uh, they sent me, a, uh, they asked me to sing a song, and they asked me to be on camera talking about my experience with autism. So I think they wanted to make sure I was articulate because <laughs> I'm doing a lot of press. Right, right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Little did you know at the time, but yes. Yes. Mm. Yeah, no kidding. So two weeks after I submitted the audition video I was invited to a callback in New York so that's about a year there huh yeah we're just in fact what's today the 19th yes April 19th um I think a year from tomorrow is the date that I filmed the big Julia episode a year ago tomorrow <laughs> the one that premiered just recently the one that just premiered yeah you've shot one scene so far do you i mean i uh, we've got more scheduled but like uh no we've we've filmed two seasons two? so far so two full seasons oh my gosh okay um julia's not in every episode right she's right, in right. two two episodes for season 47 and she's in more episodes for season 48 okay they're currently writing season 49 and i know that she's that in episodes so for that so like three years from now right well, how, how long are seasons? Like so a season a season would be normal. a year. Yeah, okay. yeah. So they premiere usually at the same time. So okay. I think this season will premiere in the fall. Season 48 will premiere in the fall. And then season 49 will premiere next fall. But they're writing season 49. I mean, they're already planning season 50. Because, I mean, come on, it's season 50. I want to, I, I, yeah, I want to talk about that for sure. But I also want to go back to, you know, you arriving there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> at the studio and... Manhattan or it's in Manhattan it's ma- I so the um like, the main offices are in Manhattan that's where I had my that's where I had my audition it's up in Lincoln Center I had my audition at the Sesame Workshop and they have a small studio in the offices there and then they film on the actual set in at Astoria Kaufman Astoria in Queens okay mm-hmm so is that where, you know, the main street is and all that stuff? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So when that I auditioned, cool when I auditioned, I walked into a room with a white backdrop and lights and cameras and they were filming my audition. They filmed me from the moment I said hello to everyone. Oh, really? So you yeah. walk in the door. I walked in the door and, and they said, and, oh, and they warned me. They said, somebody's going to be filming your audition in addition to filming your audition. Right, right, right. Um, and there were about 12 people in the room. 
um, executives, heavies, autism, huh? autism experts. You know what? They were, but they were all so warm yeah. and friendly. And the head writer um, used to spend his summers in Arizona in a neighborhood not far from mine. His gra- his grandmother lived in my neighborhood. That's always helpful when you have a, like a d- direct connection to somebody yeah. walking to a room where you're yeah. nervous and all that Absolutely. stuff. Yeah, because my first my the first person that I saw that I recognized was Matt Vogel, and he performs Big Bird. He's um, Carol Spinney's understudy. Mm-hmm. So if you've seen the movie I Am Big Bird, you if you haven't, okay, you yeah. should. But he's he's uh, in that a lot. Wow. And so I saw him and I saw how tall he was and I thought, oh my goodness, I am not going to get this job because I'm too short. <laughs> like they're right. just going to say, oh, thank you very much. So nice meeting you. Right. Be on your way. Well, you you, you sent them your height, I'm sure, right? I did I'm not. Sure. I did not send them my height. I thought they would have asked They did you not ask for a resume. Huh. So they did not right, know right, my height. Right. So I thought that the moment they saw me in person, they were going to be like, oh, look at you way down there. Isn't that adorable? <laughs> Sorry to bring you out so far. Right. Uh, I hope you have fun in New York. Bye-bye. <laughs> but I mean, honestly, that was such a wonderful experience to me that I didn't need anything else. Just the fact that they called me in and that they looked at me because I auditioned for a Sesame Puppeteer workshop in 2000. The audition was 2013. The workshop was early 2014 and I didn't make it. Was this at a festival or something like that? Or? No, it was everybody send in your tapes. We're going to pick 50 people to take this workshop. And oh, they had okay. hundreds of people send in tapes. Okay. Where did you have to go for that? I've recorded myself. Oh, okay, but I mean, it to so YouTube. then you, uh, I did not, work- get, I did okay, not gotcha. get into the workshop. Gotcha. I was okay. rejected from right, the workshop. Right, right. <laughs> Listen up kids. Cause that's what happens. You know, you will get rejected numerous, numerous times if yep. you want to be in the enter- entertainment business. And so. I also got rejected from the Muppet workshop as well. The Henson workshop. Yeah. I got rejected. Oh, I guess it wasn't Muppet. It was Henson. It's such a classic story of like, you know, going on countless rejections and stuff like that. But it's so true, you know, like. But you know what? I have to say, each time I went for it, it was like, wouldn't this be a neat thing? Because I had changed my goal. My goal was now being an independent puppeteer. Right. Having my own studio and doing puppetry full time. Right. And I achieved that. I was already happy. What is the longevity with this, you know? like I hope it's like for It forever. sounds like you said three years, you know? Well, I mean, I at mean, least because, third. I mean, they're, they're, writing the, they're writing episodes for Julia, whether or not they get accepted and stuff like that. Right. But they're asking for my feedback. They're asking for my son's feedback. And they're taking my son's feedback. That's huge for the autism community. And, and that's, not, that's not to say that my son is an authority on autism. If you've met one kid with autism, you've met one kid with autism. Mm. They're all different. But he was able to give his opinion on different situations that were presented and how he would react. And Sesame Street listens. Um, so you feel like they're doing autism right by Julia? I absolutely do. Okay. In fact, in my audition... They, they said, is there anything else you want to show us? And I, I think they were thinking like a song or tricks you can do. I don't know. Right, can you right. have your puppet juggle? <laughs> um, no is the answer. I cannot. <laughs> but I just said, hey, listen, because have you ever seen the clip of Fred Rogers going before Congress? Yes. Yeah, that's been going around. Yeah. Um, and he's asking because they were going to take away funding, right? They were going to take away. They we're talking they were about going, Mr. Rogers here. Mr. Actually. Rogers, Mr. Yeah. Fred Rogers. Yeah. Um, the neighborhood. Yes. So he asked Congress to direct money toward 
children's programming instead of using that money for war. And he was very compelling. And I was in maybe 1% of that situation where I was standing in front of people who were important and my words may affect change. And I wanted them to know how I felt about what they were doing with Julia so far. And I didn't have any criticisms because as a mom, it was all perfect. I saw kids represented who were nonverbal. I saw kids represented who were exactly like my son. I saw siblings represented. I saw parents represented. And it was everything I had felt. Mm. Whether or not I could pinpoint the words for it, it was like, you know, you know, the little women in church who just put their hand up in the air and they said, yes, amen. That's what I felt like doing. Like the whole time I was watching those videos because it was like somebody gets it. Somebody finally gets it. And the one of the reasons they got it is because they consulted 14 different autism organizations in doing this. I mean, they really did their homework. This has been a project in the making for 10 years. And the the woman who wrote We're Amazing 123, which is the online storybook, which I have a copy of here in in real paper time. Can't see it. <laughs> um, can't but see it. But it is there. I can you, see it. You can hear it. <laughs> Her name is Leslie Kimmelman, and she has an adult son with autism. So this, mm. is, this is personal to a lot of people who work there. They got a lot of stake in the game, obviously. Yeah. They... They're parents of the stake. Right, right, you right, know? right, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they want it for their kids just as much as I want it for my kid. Yeah. Just as much as the parent who just got their two-and-a-half-year-old diagnosed wants it. When I was in that moment in the audition room, I was just like, you know, I just wanted to let you know as an autism mom, this means so much to me. And then I lost it. I just started crying. And then I told them that they didn't have to hire me because that's what you do at an audition. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no, I'm crying. You're not going to want to hire me now, right? Well, no, it was really like it was really it was from a place of whatever you you guys have hit the mark every single time. Whatever you go with, whatever decision you go with. Whomever you choose, you will be making the right decision because I know you guys aren't taking this lightly. It doesn't have to be me, and I will still back this 100%. Because honestly, just going out there for me was such a huge honor. What's the what's the number one show you ever wanted to be an actor on, like SNL or whatever? Right, right. If you got an audition to SNL and they said, hey, you come highly recommended and we want to see you, just going there and just visiting yeah. the set that alone, especially if you're like, I'm never going to get this because I'm too short. <laughs> um. But like, <laughs> impossible. But but there's a lot of people that have obviously auditioned for SNL and gone on to do great things. You know absolutely. what I mean? Like, no, absolutely. Yeah. And so, with me knowing that I was going to audition and knowing that the following Monday I auditioned on a Thursday, mm-hmm. the following Monday I was going to get to visit the set because it was their first day of filming, season 47. Mm-hmm. And I was invited to go watch. Whether you got the part or not. And I didn't find out for a long time. So, I mean, actually all weekend I was like, I wonder if they're going to tell me whether I got it on Monday. <laughs> like, ha, 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 no, wait two more weeks. <laughs> um, well, so, that's the other thing that people don't know about is that you got cast in this a year ago, basically, right? A year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We filmed a year, more than a year ago. So you had to keep tight-lipped about this for a long time. Yes. The yeah. one thing I was allowed to say was that I was working as a puppeteer on Sesame Street. Now, most new puppeteers on Sesame Street 
don't get speaking parts. They're honkers. They're butterflies. They're in the background. They do right hands. So it was very, very easy for me to say, Mm. I'm just a butterfly, which was my dream as a kid. I really wanted to be a butterfly in a Bert and Ernie sketch. A (laughs) sketch where they're in a park and there's a bunch of butterflies in it. And I really wanted to be one of those butterflies. Yeah. Welcome to the foreground, right? Right. Right. Welcome to the foreground. And television puppetry is a lot trickier than doing live puppetry, which is what I was used to doing. Why is it just because your moves have to be more focused and laser pointed, basically? That too. But what you're doing is, as a puppeteer, you're watching a tiny monitor in front of you on the floor or or set up on a little stand. And um, you're seeing what the camera sees. So when you have your hand up over your head, I'm demonstrating for the people who can't see me. (laughs) When you have your hand up over your head and you move your hand to the right, on the screen, it goes to the left. Right. So it really messes with your mind. I bet, yeah. That would mess me up, too. It messes everybody up. In fact, normally in my studio, I have a a monitor and a camera set up. It's at home, so I can practice. But um, I have it set up here, and I have a little basket of eyeballs that people can try on, just so they can see, you know, this is is how it is. And everyone's like, whoa, this is weird. And it is. It really messes with your mind. It's called a straight scan. They could reverse it, because that's the next question is, why don't they just reverse it to make it like a mirror? Because back in the day, uh, they couldn't. And all of the puppeteers have been trained this it, one yeah. way. Yeah. And if you reverse it, it messes up the, the professional. I mean, they can they can switch their brains pretty easily. But but, but you're it, not going to ask Big Bird to do that. You're obviously. not going to ask or, Big I mean, Bird uh, to do know, that. Oscar the Grouch or whatever. No, nope, you you're know. not going to ask Grover to do that. Right. No, no. You do it the way they did it. Tradition. Exactly, yes. Because <laughs> puppetry is an old, un, you know, quite an old art form too, you know? Yeah. Jim Henson was really revolutionary with it yeah. because any puppetry on TV prior, they had a camera aiming at a puppet booth, a puppet stage. And Jim Henson took the puppet stage away and had the bottom of the camera as as the playboard. Yeah. Right. You had mentioned earlier, but um, to the, our listeners, we are at Papa Pie. This is your studio yeah. where you build... And have workshops, right? Yeah, I build yes. puppets. I have workshops yeah. in this space. And, um, and sometimes I watch Netflix. Right. <laughs> well, this is your studio, and it's a cool studio. Um, it's got a bunch of puppets and stuff that you sell and, and whatnot. And it's very you, and it's very, you know, it's also, like, you know, on Grand Avenue, so it's... It's, it's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's fun. There's yeah. puppets hanging up everywhere, and right. there's red and white stripy walls. Yeah, because, like you said, you change your priorities. Um, yeah, absolutely. You know, and this is... I imagine just as fulfilling as being on Sesame Street on some level, you know? On some level, yes. Right, yeah. On some level, right. yes. I there mean, you is... can't beat Sesame Street, but like... Right. But this just reinforces everything on some level. Or maybe Sesame Street reinforces something. I don't know. But, I, like, think, I think I think they reinforce something together, yeah. Yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, right, because right. as an independent artist, you always wonder, am I doing the right thing? Should I just quit? You know, there's always, sure, there's yeah. always dry months, always, right. totally, as an yeah. artist. And you it's think, not glamorous, that's for sure. Yeah, you know? when am I gonna? When am I just gonna give up on this and go get a desk right. job or right, you know right. teach or something like that? Every year, it's like, oh well, it, it ends up picking up and I can keep going um, to the mm. point that I was now able to get the studio. Right. That makes me think about like the fulfillment of like just like being an artist and being able to. I mean, because like, like you said, it's ups and downs, and you know. But you do have something, you have tangible things, and I think that's important, you know, mm-hmm. as an artist, like, 
yes, there's going to be hills and valleys, and it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be a struggle, but there are tangible things that you can take away from it that you will have, you know? Absolutely. You know? Like, I got to do my first gallery show in 2005 at the Trunk Space. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's... Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. And and that was an achievement. And I think that that's the thing. I think right. that for me, my goals have been tiny stair steps. You know, I'm going to reach this little goal here. I always... Tra- so, I, as an example, my Fitbit comes, <laughs> with, comes with a goal of 10,000 steps. For me, I live in Phoenix. I drive. I don't get to the gym every day. Um, it it was unattainable for me. Um, even even on days where I was spending an hour at the gym, I just wouldn't hit 10,000 steps. So what I did was I looked at my average. And my average was like 3,500 steps. It's very low. I'm sedentary. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so what I did was I upped it by 500 steps because I like attainable goals. So today... What am I at? Oh, I'm at 2,000 steps. But today is a sedentary day. I've been sitting doing interviews a lot. So <laughs> <laughs> I did not get to go to lunch because I was doing an interview that ended up being two hours long. Right. But deciding to walk to walk to Irma's instead of driving. Right. right. It's. I just think, well, I think, you know, you might not get up that step. But as long as you get up it at some point, you know. Yeah. Some... Some uh, sometimes you go up multiple steps pretty quickly, and then it's other while it's a little while before you go up that big a bigger step. Yeah, you know? and like, you know what? On my even on my Fitbit tracker, I have that I'm going to get I'm going to hit my goal like three to four times a week. My, that's pretty good. Yeah, you know that's a pretty Why good not? average. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's fifty percent of the week, more than fifty yeah. percent of the week. You know, and if and if I can do that as an artist, if I can say, you know what, I'm going to try Comic Con this year, right? And I want to I want to break even at Comic Con. That's right, my right, goal. Right, yeah. My goal is to not lose money at Comic Con. Yeah. Make more than my booth fee. Right. And then next year I have a bigger goal. Or yeah. next year I say I'm you know right. what, I'm going to do Comic Con and Dragon Con. I'm going to do Gen Con. I want to travel out of state. I want to go do a I want to do a festival. I want to do I want to try and do library workshops. You know hmm. I I change my goals here and there as an artist and it. It keeps me fulfilled. And I I've also view it as a highway. Yeah. So as long as I'm staying on the same highway, I can switch lanes as much as I want. Yeah. As long as I don't exit and work in a call center. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes the, highway, the highways get wider, you know, and there's lots of lanes to yeah. change into, you know. And sometimes you have to exit and work in a call center and refuel. Get gas, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Get a donut or something. You know? Right. Yeah, sometimes sometimes you get burned out with art. Totally. You can. And that's okay. And realizing that that's okay is huge. Because this podcast is rather, I, I make it Phoenix-centric. Like, living in Phoenix is actually a lot easier on the soul than living in New York City. Heck you know, yeah. You can go there, shoot your stuff, and come back, recharge, yeah. whatever, you know? like. I think that if I lived in New York City, I would be a very sad person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I like visiting it, but after a while... Just like, where's the sky? <laughs> I know, right? And and not only that, just where's the quirkiness? I mean, where's the quirkiness without going to Brooklyn and seeing a million top knots? But even then, going to Brooklyn is almost, I mean, I wouldn't want to upset any Brooklyn folks, but like, it's almost <laughs> Oh, they like know all about tra- the top knots. They're trying to be hard to be ironic, you know what I mean? I mean, there's, sometimes, there's not, yeah. Uh, there's it, less yeah. authenticity, I there's feel There's less like. authenticity. You know? when I, One like, of the things I liked coming back from LA was like, oh my gosh, I can talk to real people, you know? I can talk to real people, right. yeah. And there are, I, I have to say, New York gets a bad rap about the, the New Yorkers. 
Right. But I can go to a sushi bar, you know, near my friend's place and sit down and strike up conversation with the person next to me. And then by the end of it, we're following each other on Instagram and texting each other when I'm in Phoenix, you know? No place is perfect, you know. A lot of people out here are maybe a little more standoffish than that, you know. Right. It's harder to strike up a conversation here, even at sitting at a bar sometimes. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's definite. I mean, no place is perfect, obviously. Yeah. So we touched a little bit about like living in Arizona and and, you know going to New York City and all Mm -hmm. that stuff. So you've lived in Arizona for what almost twenty years now. No, I moved. I moved to Arizona in two thousand one. That's almost twenty years ago. No, it's not. Almost 20 years it's ago, but anyway. 16 years ago. Anyway, so you've been here. Um, for, Closer to 15 what, what, than 20. What brought you out to Phoenix? Um, my husband got a job after he graduated from uh, okay. CU Boulder. He got a job at an ad agency, Okay. which he promptly did not have shortly after we moved here. <laughs> As it goes, right? As it goes in but advertising. So, so what's your what's your experience um, been like? I feel like you like living here. I do. What's your experience been in terms of maybe like... The way it was then compared to the way it is now. And you can talk in terms of the puppetry scene or just the Phoenix in general. Like, Well, when I first moved here, there was one improv group. Maybe there, maybe there were two. Well, there's one in, right, in the city. Right, because we didn't message that Stacey Gordon also does uh, improv, long-form improv generally. But Yes. No, yeah. Right. Long-form improv. And that's where you learned a lot of, of – it's helped you a lot in your puppetry, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I do a lot of puppet improv. And so I you've been involved of... with the puppet scene here since you got here, it sounds like. I mean, the improv scene. The improv scene. I, yeah. The improv scene I, I joined first. Yeah. Um, and back then, it was just a short-form improv. It was comedy sports back then. Mm-hmm. And I joined. And then I helped to, I guess, fledgling found the improv community here. I was involved in the very first... Which is largely the Torch Theater, long form at least, I guess. Yeah, but I think we weren't calling it Torch Theater back then. It was like Carefree. We did it under Max. Oh, okay. Uh, Mac Duncan's. Productions or whatever? Yeah, yeah, Carefree Rate Productions is what it was filed under back then. And then the Torch Theater... Oh, that was a long time ago. It was a long time ago. I mean, it was before I had my child. My yeah. child's 13, so... Wow. Yeah. So that obviously probably sounds like uh, helped you get to know people and stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And that and that got me connected with the improv community. I'm sorry, with the art community. Because doing improv, we, we one of the places we performed was the trunk space. Mm-hmm. And that's where I had my first gallery show in 2005. And I'd, it, I'd gotten involved. One of the improvisers worked at the puppet theater as an office manager. And I was like, oh my gosh, I did puppets when I lived in Colorado to puppets when I was a teenager I would like to be involved and so I started doing their adult series of shows uh, with Tommy Cannon and Mac Duncan who are both uh, Phoenix improvisers what do you think about Phoenix in, in terms of where it is now these days it's come a long way I, it's come a long way yeah 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 so thinking about like first Fridays I used to walk my child in a stroller up and down Grand Avenue because that was the place to be back then yeah because you know Roosevelt Row was getting Roosevelt Row wasn't even a thing I think the only oh, thing that was over Grand there kind of. was like modified I'm thinking when Roosevelt Row was like getting way over the top and like you come no. to Grand Avenue was more like <laughs> you know no, what I'm talking about I'm, though, yeah. I'm talking about even before, even before then. that yeah. even before that I'm talking about like 2004 so right when trunk space and paisley violin and four white walls and the paper heart paper heart yeah, yeah. and i'd walk from the trunk space down to paper heart back up for hit four white walls uh the lodge mm-hmm. all these places on the way back um and that was first friday that was it was like a hidden gem back then you know like nobody not as many people knew about it. not many right people knew about first friday in general yeah. not many people knew about first friday at all and then 
Mm-hmm. Um, but now it's crazier even more because First Friday is so like gentrified and so like yeah. it's got all these expensive apartments and it stuff went, like that. It went from being this quiet thing that I could do with my husband and my child and go see art to, oh my God, why are there so many drunk college kids here? Right. To, oh, this is the place to be. Um <laughs> I mean, we've got Barrio Cafe here right, now right in here, my yeah. building. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, I mean, and it's great. It's wonderful because I want people who can afford art to come to see the artists, right? Right. What would you like to see Phoenix be 10 years from now, 15 years from now? Whoa, that's a long time. A lot can change then, you know, but I don't want to say five years because I, I feel like. I want it to be the same as it is right now. Nice. I don't want Grand Avenue to have. Sky rises. I know. That's... I, do, I want people to take over historic spaces and honor those spaces. One of the reason that one of the reasons that I really like my landlady so much, Beatrice Moore, she has a lot of, of properties that she rents to artists in this area. Oh yeah. Um, and it's affordable. <laughs> That's why she's I can amazing. have a studio. Yeah. And she's creative and she's fun and and she brings a sense of levity and joy to the area and it wouldn't be this area without her but she honors the history of the building and i've been puppet pie for a long time and when i found out that there was a space opening up in the bragg's pie factory i was like i must be in there my grandfather was an architect i like old things and i like when old things are preserved and honored and I it feel seems that like we tear shit down so quickly. all the time, all the time. It's gotten better for sure. I think that's one of the yeah. things that, that why Phoenix has been so cool yeah. recently in the last years because they've they've taken ownership of that set and said, yeah. no, we're not going to tear down this stuff. Tuft and Needle t- took over this really old, beautiful brick building on Grand Avenue, and they could have they could have leveled it, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. They honored the space, mm-hmm. um, and it's it's when you get the people who are honoring the spaces that. May not seem historical to you, but you know what? 40s is historical in Phoenix. You know, the people coming in from the East Coast are like, 1940s, that's brand new. (laughs) You know, yeah. But the sticker is still on it. (laughs) But to us, like you said, it is freaking like old, old, you know? Yeah, because Phoenix didn't boom until until we had air conditioning. And they made it a habit to just tear, keep tearing stuff down, you know? You know, I grew up in a really small town. It was had 3,000 people. And I think one of the reasons that I like Phoenix so much is because we're the biggest small town there is. When you're connected to a community, it doesn't matter which community, whether it's the art community, the autism community, the music community, the comedy community, improv community, you are part of a family. And each community that I have been in has welcomed me in. And that's what's beautiful about Phoenix. Everybody knows everybody at least a little bit. Oh, you know, I talk about the trunk space. And if you're familiar enough with the area, oh, you know about the trunk space. Uh, There may be 4 million people in this city, but there's many communities and the artistic community is very small. Yeah, but it, and it's, and it's very tight and it's very, it's very welcoming. I wouldn't know where to begin in New York. Mm. I would know how to get into the improv scene in New York. That's pretty easy. Go to the pit, go to UCB, start taking classes. But to have, this is the great thing about Phoenix. And it may happen in other cities, and I'm just unaware. But the the overlap of artists doing different things and collaborating together 
is really, really cool. You've got the sketch comedy people who know the puppeteers, who know the improvisers, who know the visual artists. And they're not territory there. No. You know what I mean? They're not afraid. And nobody's afraid to ask you to, hey, join my group or do this. or No, yeah. If somebody says to me now, well, I could either I could either collaborate with you or I could, you know, I could either try and join your thing or I could do my own thing. I will say, do your own thing. Because A, you're going to be more passionate about it if you do it yourself. Um, you're going to be the most passionate about anything you do. But there's no, I've, I've seen very little malice in any community. You know, it pops up here and there. Each, each community, of course, will have its own faults. I mean, we're all human. Mm-hmm. We all struggle to interact with each other because we're all probably in the arts because we're right. a little bit messed up. Right. That's what I think is really neat about Phoenix is that it's so... I don't want to use the word incestuous because that implies it's a That's bad not it, thing. That's not <laughs> it's not. <laughs> but it's, um, but it's, it's open and shared. Let's say it's polyamorous. <laughs> <laughs> I think we should end the interview right there. <laughs> Phoenix is polyamorous. Put it on a t-shirt. Boom. We're done. Done. Phoenix, polyamory of the arts. Get it on. Stacy, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been awesome. And congratulations and good luck thank you. for everything in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Sunny days sweeping up. Since she was a little kid, Stacy Gordon, all she wanted to do was be on Sesame Street. She started working on puppets when she was in high school. She even did what were, in essence, two video auditions that would have basically put her in two separate workshops run by the Jim Henson and the Sesame Street folks. And she never heard back. She couldn't even get into a workshop. So she decided to change her priorities. She told herself, well, okay, maybe one day I might be able to tour the famous Sesame Street set. But then a barrage of different factors came together, and the next thing she knows, she's on Sesame Street. I'm fascinated by the wake of fame. How does one get from that point of obscurity to obtaining your dream? What's the gap between stimulus and response? And what makes the great thronging masses choose you as opposed to someone else? Or, as more often the case, what makes someone choose someone else over you? Because when it comes down to it, it is the great they who make the decision. No matter how perfect you are, no matter how great your craft is, and no matter how bad you want it, it is they who choose you. And I really don't have the answers to these questions. But I can say, Stacy's path is probably not that uncommon, in that it was not an overnight sensation. Her dream came to her after years of attempting and failing, and attempting and failing, and trying new things. The anatomy of a dream is made up of many different parts for many different people. Some people attain their dream and realize it's not what they wanted. Some people change their dream, and that's okay. Dreams are simply ideas not yet tangible. But dreams are rooted in creation, and creation is what human beings were meant to do. One, two, one, two, three, four.
If you'd like to reach us, we can be found at onthegridphx.com or email us at onthegridphx at gmail.com. On the Grid is produced by Chris Ayers. Intro music was performed by local band Factories. They can be reached at factoriesmusic.com. And by the way, sticking with our theme of local, we feature local musical artists on each episode of our podcast. On this episode, we are featuring one of Stacey Gordon's favorite local bands, Fatigo. Once again, thank you guys so much for joining us on our 14th episode of On the Grid. Life sucks, the burning, the sunshine Punches a cactus, yells at his neighbor Scorpion, we're worlds apart And I can't simmer it down Scorpion, we're worlds apart And I can't simmer it down Brown recluse Mischievous phantom resides in a boombox with one broken speaker. Dirt clod, he lived in the shambles, destroyed in the ruckus of Whitey's last tantrum. Scorpion and Recluse are planning this odd bondaloo from the Arctic to Paris. Last straw with stopping at random, they both had enough of the bear. Upon it, this weird foreign object, fingers a tuner. Who blast when it hit from the 90s? The sonic assault on the desert assembly. Scorpion with his fangs, took hatred. Follow me.